Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, we're coming back to the area of home energy management for the second time in this series, but today looking at it from a different angle. A couple of weeks ago, we heard the perspectives of people working on this topic from E.ON and Centrica, two big European energy retailers. One of the challenges we didn't look at then, which we are looking at today, is how companies like E.ON and Centrica can connect to and communicate with the growing number of controls, assets and devices in our homes. So that's the topic we're exploring today. It's all very well having a connected smart thermostat, a connected EV charger, and an inverter for your PV system, for example. But what if they all have their own communication protocols and companies like Eon and Centrica just can't reach them? So today I'm delighted to be joined by two people who live uh, deep in this world of connecting assets, controls, devices in people's homes. And of course, our Delta EE expert. We'll do our best not to get too techy, and we'll give you a flavor of how easy or hard it is to connect everything in the home together. My first guest is Nicholas Arpula, who looks after e-mobility and smart energy for Kio, an integrator for a standard known as EEBus. Hello, Nicholas. Hi, John. Um, Nicholas, many of our listeners won't know what EEBus is, or may have heard of it, but still don't understand exactly what it is. Can you give us a super simple explanation, please, of what EEBus stands for and what it is? Uh, Sure. Well, a super simple explanation. That's a a challenge. Well, the (laughs) EEBus EEBus is the global language for energy. Uh, It's a standard to to enable interoperable and uh, manufacturer-independent communication between uh, energy-relevant devices in in the building. So uh, you have to imagine that uh, if the devices at your home could exchange information as easily as uh, humans are doing. Uh, Think of me asking you, John, for example, or any other person, uh, what is the current outdoor temperature? Uh, As long as we both use English, you know what I want without the necessity that we first agree on what is current, what is outdoor, what is temperature, uh, without talking about is should it be Celsius or Fahrenheit? Yeah, and okay. So uh, this would enable a temperature sensor to talk to a heat pump or a uh, a battery to talk to an EV charger, for example. Exactly. So that, that uh, the devices understand uh, each other as well as, as, as human communication, regardless, is it then a communication through phone, email or letter? And this is really the, the aim of the EBUS initiative uh, to make this machine to machine communication uh, really easy. Okay. And can you give our listeners a feel for how long EEBUS has been around, how big it is, how many different manufacturers and organizations are using this language today? Uh, so the initiative was, was officially founded, I think, in 2012. 
and has since then been growing from six member companies to almost uh, 70 organizations. And there are involved uh, utilities, uh, device manufacturers from the heating industry, from uh, e-mobility e industry. We have industry organizations uh, such as uh, the German Car Manufacturers Association or the heating industry or, or the organization uh, defining the grid connection rules in Germany. Mm -hmm. So it's a very wide uh, scope of companies, all with the interest to, to create the interoperability uh, when it comes to communication about energy. Okay, and you, you mentioned a couple of German associations there. You yourself are based in Germany. Is it stronger in Germany than other markets? Or how would you describe the, the geographical reach, for want of a better word, of EEBUS? So it started it started in Germany and that means of course it is very strongly positioned in Germany uh, but the footprint is getting also stronger in, in Europe and also uh, on international level through uh, for example research projects uh, in Europe or also together with the uh, US based players. Okay uh, and the last question about EEBUS for now you've mentioned some different uh, uh, segments of the new energy landscape, so heating or e-mobility, for example. Would you say EEBUS is stronger in certain segments and other segments, or which segments is it strongest in? I would say that the moment the, the strongest focus points are in, in, in the integration of e-mobility of e with the building and the grid, then of course uh, integration with the, of the heating with the, with the energy local energy management, and of course, the integration of the whole building uh, with the grid side. So to enable this interoperable communication between the smart grid and the smart home. Okay. Um, Nicholas, that's a great uh, scene setter for EEBUS. My last question for you right now is your role at uh, the company that, that pays your salary, Keo, uh, because you don't work directly for EEBUS. Can you just give us a very quick summary of what you do at Keo? So we at Keo are a software company specialized in, in eBus software, it means we make energy relevant devices to speak eBus. Uh, I'm a key, key account manager there, means I am busy mostly with sales and business development related uh, activities, but a big part of my job is as today is just to, to spread the word about eBus uh, because the cool thing uh, in working with eBus is really that it brings together competitors and industries to collaboration. Okay, great Nicholas, thanks for that really clear introduction. We'll come back to you shortly, but let's go now to my second guest, um, Joshua Kona, Director of Product Strategy, Business Development and Sales at KiwiGrid. Hello Joshua. Hello John. Um, could you start by giving us an elevator pitch for KiwiGrid? Uh, who KiwiGrid is, what you do, where you're based? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So, hard facts uh, to start with this. Uh, KiwiGrid is a company um, who's in the smart energy business for 10 years now. And I would say we are a smart energy platform operator. Um, connecting all the assets and the devices in the field, uh, um, no matter if it's uh, heating, uh, immobility, or even electricity, and try to connect all the different market roles uh, uh, in this game and try to, let's say, push the interaction between all the players to, yeah, to enable, let's say, uh, um, 
new energy world and care for distributed energy uh, to be accepted in, in, in the business and the market. Okay, and who are your typical? Who do you typically work with or work for? Uh, it's a mixture of OEMs, um, uh, retailers, so utilities, of course, um, automotives, uh, service, uh, energy service providers, and uh, wholesalers as well. Okay, so your platform is helping these companies to connect uh, different assets, devices from different manufacturers together in your platform. Exactly, and uh, even from different uh, use cases and perspectives. Uh, as, an, as an example, an automotive uh, uh, company has uh, different, let's say, use cases and, and, and goals and benefits for their end customers uh, compared to a utility or an OEM. And we try to bring this together that all of the benefits for, let's say, the customers, the end customers can, uh, can become true. Okay. And can you give us a feel for the size of your business? Uh, I don't know, people or geographical footprint or type sure. uh, example clients? Sure. So our focus area is, uh, focus market is the European market, uh, mainly uh, Germany, Nordics, France, uh, Spain, Portugal, Austria, um, Italy, uh, UK. And uh, currently we are 150 employees in our company. And uh, yeah, just to name some, some, some numbers about connectivity, uh, currently we operate uh, several hundred thousand devices and assets uh, all over Europe. Okay. Um, yeah, so you've reached a you've reached a, a really impressive scale already, uh, and still growing, I imagine. Yes, still growing. Yeah, <laughs> yep. it's a challenge. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I'm glad you listed the UK as part of your European footprint, Joshua, because although we're left exactly. the EU, um, and very sadly, uh, we still. I still feel the UK exactly. So, so, so the business started for us in 2013 in, in UK, and uh, no one was speaking about Brexit uh, during this no. time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not go any further down that route. Uh, but my last question for you now, uh, to help our listeners understand how you relate to what Nicholas introduced, uh, do you work with EEBus, uh, and how do you see EEBus amongst? your your job of connecting all these assets together on your platform yeah um, thank you so we are a member of the um, ebus uh, organization and uh, of course we uh, are uh, let's say involved in several uh, research projects like niklas already uh, mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, what is important to say from, let's say, from this operations point of view and this business point of view during the last 10 years, there are not so many uh, devices that support the EBUS protocol. And so we, uh, we need to be, uh, need to stay flexible to uh, integrate whatever comes. Uh, so this mm -hmm. is in EBUS uh, and uh, Modbus, SG-Ready, SunSpec, OCPP, cloud-to-cloud -cloud connectivity. So there's a huge, uh, let's say, uh, bench of different connectivities, yeah, options, and uh, we try to cover all of them, including EEBus. Okay. Um, 
Thanks, Joshua. We'll come back to you shortly. Let's now introduce my final guest, our Delta EE expert, Alex Viel. Hello, Alex. Hi, John. So, Alex, you um, joined me on the uh, HEM podcast with Eon and Centrica and uh, helped us understand the, the HEM landscape and set the scene there. Now we've got a more a techie focus on the area of home energy management. So uh, we've had very clear introductions from Nicholas and Joshua in terms of their activities, but can you help us just step back a bit and understand the approaches that you're seeing in the market of connecting up lots of different assets, batteries, uh, inverters, sensors, heat pumps, et cetera, uh, in buildings. So as you step back and look at the different approaches, um, what do you see? Well, it's a very complex space, uh, but just to list you maybe a few of the mainstream approaches. Um, the first one is simply that your devices are talking a common language, as Niklas said, uh, so an open protocol that anyone can understand but this is quite rare actually. So if it's not the case, then it means that the manufacturer and the third party trying to connect to the asset need to have some kind of agreement to speak a common language, so a shared protocol or an API that they share together to understand each other. And if this is not possible either, then you have to come up with another solution such as a kind of translator uh, and this often requires some kind of hardware on site. Okay. Um, and you said that uh, you referred to the manufacturer and a third party working together via an API. Um, Joshua mentioned cloud to cloud approach. Can you just expand on that a, a little bit more to help our listeners understand that? Um, yeah, absolutely. So basically your asset is going to have some kind of interface uh, presenting the language that it talks and this is the API and mm -hmm. this API can be either um, closed so only known and accessible by the manufacturer or the assets or it can be open to some partners such as a third party trying to connect to this asset and in general um, this connection happens in the cloud so um, pretty much in the internet uh, where the interface is going to connect with the platform of the third party, which is doing the, the um, integration. Okay. And I guess if it's closed, that's where you need the bilateral agreement between the two parties to open up the API and allow them to uh, speak to each other. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So a lot of different approaches in the market that you've described there and Joshua alluded to. Um, Nicholas, I'd like to come back to you and just uh, look at EEBus in a little more detail. You gave a really nice clear uh, example uh, in your introduction of the common language. Can you speak a bit more about a, a use case or a, a project or real life uh, situation you're working on that really excites you where you're through EEBus you're really unlocking the potential of two devices to exchange information to talk to each other and the benefits that that brings uh, okay there were, were uh, many questions at once uh, <laughs> yeah. so uh, so what the, the EBus 
IBAS is doing is, is it brings standardized use cases and a standardized data model available. Yeah. And then applications based on these specifications are then inherently uh, interoperable and, and plug and play ready. Uh, and uh, companies already using this, uh, we have, uh, for example, uh, SMA and, and Byland enabling a communication between their energy management system and, uh, and heat pumps. To, to really have this this plug and play readiness without the okay. user to have a, have any extra fuss uh, so using the resources. Let's just focus on that one for a second. So SMA make an inverter which is used in a PV system. Uh, Valent make a heat pump. So what are they actually doing together, or how does that actually work, or what's the use case um, for that exchange of information between? The inverter the, and the heat pump. Uh, yeah, use case. Uh, one use case is, of course, that you optimize the, the use of the heat pump uh, with available solar energy or any any mm. self-produced energy. Mm. So that means that the, the devices or the heat heat pump shares with the energy management system uh, easily the information that it can provide, the, the features and data points it can provide, uh, and the energy management connects to those points, uh, and is then yeah, managing the energy uh, according to its internal applications uh, or algorithms, but there is no there is no further agreement necessary because both devices are conformed to the EBA specifications. Okay, so they're speaking the same language, so that optimization of self-consumption exactly is so we super could, straightforward. So, so then the, the end user could exchange if he need his energy management system needs to be replaced. He can exchange mm -hmm. it with any other EBUS system or the other way around if there comes another heat pump or, or another uh, ebus device like ev charger in the household then it's just mm -hmm. uh, connecting and and uh, using okay so you you would have an energy manager either embedded in one of those products or sitting over the top of that and that would uh, pick up the same or the, it would talk to those uh, products and receive information in a common language so it's really, really plug and play as you described. Definitely, and this is of course the reason why why the major industries are like automotive and, and heat pump manufacturers are recommending EBUS and, and setting for that. Yep. Okay, um, thanks Nicholas. Uh, Joshua, could you uh, give us an example, a use case or a project or real life situation and expand a bit more on that from uh, from your activities? Maybe, uh, using eBus, e if you like, or, or a different way in which you're uh, enabling assets to be connected together? Yes, maybe it's an, um, let's say, an, an, an extension of the uh, use case Niklas was describing. Um, so um, one of our use cases we are pushing right now, and maybe this is a good example to give, an, let's say, to, to bridge this, what does it really mean, the interaction of different market roles and market players. Uh, so we are in several projects right now care for aggregated flexibilities from homes. Uh, what this means is, uh, of course, you have heating flexibilities, you have the PV, the storage system, uh, even the, the, the flexibility from the car, bringing this together uh, in one central system, not only from an energy management perspective, but also from a regulations perspective. Yeah, this is what uh, what uh, several let's say regulations 
wants to have. And, and so we care for integrating, of course, the devices. And it's, it depends how you do it. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, if it's cloud to cloud or if it's eBus based or if it's Modbus and so on. Um, mm -hmm. We bring this together, we calculate what really happens in the next uh, couple of hours on this household. And um, we uh, forecast the behavior of the grid and uh, what happens on the trading floors. Bringing this together um, in the end to have one benefit for the end customer. And this is the best price for energy available on the market. It's not the wholesale price. It's not, let's say, grid-related uh, grid fees. It brings the distributed energy uh, to the household and makes the best out, out of it. Okay, and you might have a, a platform, as you said, that's got very large numbers of assets feeding into that from very many households. Um, on that platform, presumably, you've got to use a variety of, approach, of approaches to connect those uh, assets to your platform. So on a single platform, you might be using EEBus, Modbus, Cloud to Cloud, as you described. You, you have to work with whatever's necessary. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. And yeah. uh, to my experience in this field is it's not all about the connectivity itself. It's mm. the, the biggest challenge for us in, in, in this connectivity business is the operations how to manage different firmwares over time, let's say five years, 10 years, all these assets um, uh, will live, let's say 10, 20 years, and uh, you need to, to maintain it, you, you need to care for it uh, over, let's say, firmware generations. And that's a huge challenge, how to cope with it, how to test it, how to operate it. Okay, and to help our non-techie listeners, where you talk about different firmware uh, generations. This is, if I've got a heat pump, these are different updates, different operating systems for my, not operating systems, different uh, software systems for my heat pump that would be updated over time. Exactly, exactly. So maybe okay. new functionalities, new front ends, new data points that are accessible, and all of these, let's say, changes in the firmware um, needs to be managed that it interacts with all the other devices connected. Okay, and how, how, well, you said that's your biggest challenge. So with my heat pump, if I have a firmware update, then you might have to do something to be able to still connect my heat pump to your platform. Uh, what, what would you have to do? Could you help our, our listeners understand a bit about what that actually might involve? Yeah, maybe, maybe just, yeah, simple explanation. As soon as you, you have new data points or you change the protocol um, and even small changes, you need to adapt it in the controller and the gateway or in your, let's say, in the platform, in the backend um, and uh, align it with all the other uh, data points in, in, in the system uh, the, the, with the inverter, with the, let's say, smart home system and, and, and so on. And this, let's say, end-to-end -end, uh, quality needs to be assured mm -hmm. and this needs to be tested and of course this need, needs to be adapted as soon as we have changes yeah okay um i'd like to ask all three of you about uh where you think this world of connectivity uh is is going or connecting up different assets so if we 
if the whole world adopted EEBus, then um, everything would be much simpler in that every every device would be speaking the same language. But how realistic is that that we we end up with a, a common protocol or a, a common standard? Um, Nicholas, let's start with you because I guess you're you're working with EEBus, uh, and then go to Joshua and then Alex on for your views. Yeah, so of course I think it's not realistic to realistic to think that uh, that all devices would support one common standard uh, due to many reasons because there are always business models relying on proprietary solutions and lock-in. So the the application requires simply another protocol due to technical reasons, and of course many established domain-specific protocols are also doing uh, the job good enough. Uh, nevertheless. Uh, the, the landscape of protocols will for surely get smaller. If we think mm -hmm. now of Germany, that the major industries, we think of automotive and HVAC have, have really realized that eBus is a, is a future-proof solution for the connectivity. And it also enables this, this grid integration of local resources. So for a good example is that the Volkswagen Group is, is committed to eBus. And that said, uh, that this, this interoperability and, and standardized communication interfaces uh, is of course increasingly important due to the necessity to have transparency uh, to the low voltage grid. So the mm. DSO, DSOs need that, uh, but also to, to include the flexibilities behind the meter for, for example, peak shaving mechanisms or to provide variable tariffs. And this is the reason why, for example, here in Germany, uh, the technical regulator, the VDEFNN, so the regulator for the power grid grids, has already included EBUS in the upcoming requirement specifications for the okay. digital grid connection point. Okay, so some good momentum that you're gathering there, which will um, hopefully expand the number of OEMs that are using EEBUS. Definitely, it's pushing, but we will never have one protocol that, mm -hmm. that rules them all. That is not realistic. Um, Joshua, you're you're not invested in any one standard or protocol particularly. You have to to work with uh, with lots of them. What's your view on how much commonality we're going to get? So I fully agree with Niklas. Uh, what you see, uh, you will never have uh, one common standard, but what you will have uh, more and more common standards including the S. Um, and uh, we see this in the CNI business, in the CNI segment. Um, there are already established uh, standards, uh, let's say four or five standards that uh, always comes up. And uh, I strongly believe that uh, we will have this development uh, for the home uh, area or the residential business as well, or low voltage business as well, uh, since of course there will be more need for transparency and transparency uh, in the low voltage grid there is a need for more interaction to come to new business models like i don't know energy communities is one example and uh, of course there is uh, there is a need um, from the manufacturer side to collaborate with all the different and uh, additional uh, market roles uh, uh, as i said to bring the benefits to the end customer and to stay competitive. Um, and how, where are we now, do you think, Joshua? Um, how quickly will that change in terms of 
reaching, for example, those four to five standards that we see in the commercial and industrial sector? How far away until we have those four to five for residential or are we almost there? So the good thing is, um, since uh, our last talk, there were some um, great developments uh, from the regulative point of view uh, in many different countries. Alex, you know this best. And uh, this helps us to bring in more business relevance and uh, standardization, that there is uh, a strong need to, to go this way. I would say currently um, it's, uh, it's, it's still a mess. It's still yeah, a lot to do to bring things together, but more and more standards uh, um, come up and uh, the trend is clear uh, that I would say in the next four to five years, um, most of the assets of the devices will talk at least one common standard. Okay. Um, Alex, how, how do you see it? Because I know you've we've talked about uh, together and with manufacturers and um, um, other companies and the need to go uh, to develop bilateral agreements to get cloud to cloud integration, having to go one by one to each car manufacturer, for example. How do you see this uh, emerging convergence into a small number of standards? Well, I do agree with our guests. Um, there are obvious rising opportunities around him and not only for the end user, but also uh, to provide the grid with flexibility for communities, um, etc. And um, I think if manufacturers, uh, grid operators and all the other players in the energy world want to be part of um, these new hem markets and uh, make value out of it, but also just not be left behind, there will be a need for some kind of standard uh, protocols. And um, obviously there will not be one, and I do agree with our guests on that point. Um, but do, you see much do you see much reluctance, Alex, between uh, from some manufacturers where historically everything's been closed and they see opening up as something a bit a bit risky a bit uncertain or they have to take a bet on a certain certain standard uh if there are a number of competing ones at the moment which one do they go with so is, is it hard for the manufacturers at the moment i think it is because they're betting a lot on choosing one uh standard and we see a lot of them actually picking a few of them um, to future proof their business uh, but no one is going to remain completely closed. I think you need to be a very large uh, company to be able to do that and survive on your own. And uh, I think the kind of standards that are picked really depends on the segments uh, that the company comes from, whether it's an automotive company, uh, HVAC, etc., but also the countries uh, where it's operating, because standards uh, vary a lot countries from countries. Yeah, okay. So some may be gathering momentum, but maybe stronger in some markets than others. So if you've got a car manufacturer from East Asia, it might have a different view from a car manufacturer in Germany to a, to a US car manufacturer. Absolutely. Um, okay. Um, now that we've touched on this uh, idea of open and closed, let's uh, bring out the talking new energy crystal ball. And today we'll set the dial to 2025. Um, the question I'd like to ask all three of you to respond to 
is this. So um, imagine that we have a future where everything is completely closed or we need bilateral agreements between a company like Kiwi Grid and a car manufacturer to access the, the state of charge of the battery. So if that's zero out of 10, where everything's very closed, and 10 out of 10 is completely open, interoperable, uh, an aggregator, a, a hem company could uh, easily access any heat pump, any battery, et cetera, that that's 10 out of 10. So zero out, of, zero out of 10 is everything's closed, 10 out of 10, everything's completely open and interoperable. Where will we be in 2025? Uh, so what score would you give uh, the sector for 2025? Nicholas, let, let's start with, with you. Okay, thank you. So uh, I'd say first that we had to look at the status quo now. We are definitely not at zero at 10, but there are big big gaps in interoperability. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say maybe in, in five years, we could be somewhere at, at six or seven, but I'm afraid that the 2025 comes really quick considering how mm -hmm. slow at the end standardization is and collaboration between organizations. And uh, for many businesses, it's the pain because of due to lacking interoperability, it's not strong enough. We have a lot of proprietary ecosystems also in five years. And then I also think that many, many of these global IoT platform providers will come from the entertainment domain also into the energy dome, domain. Um, but I think that the development is, is very good in Germany and Europe. That's, I would say, I'm optimistic and I say seven, seven out of 10. Okay, and where would you put us today? Uh, you said a lot lower, uh, presumably not at zero, but what mark would you give no. us today? <laughs> uh, I would say something like three. Okay, um, so making good progress, but yeah, 2025 will come around quickly. Um, Joshua, how about yourself? So looking at the uh, openness uh, and uh, interoperability of all the different, let's say, devices and assets in five years. I would say, I would say maybe seven, uh, but it's a negative seven. And this what, comes. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I'm, I mean, from yeah, personally, of course, I'm enthusiastic that this will happen. But uh, if we mm. see it all over the, all over the world. Yeah, we have special regions. I just pick out uh, Japan or China, um, even uh, in, 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 in all the different European countries. Uh, you have, uh, let's say, some, let's say, you have some challenges to get in there. And of course, standards help. And uh, on the other side, standards, are, let's say, make it, make it also different to uh, bring in new business models. So this is this is one aspect that's why I'm saying it's, it's negative. The other thing, what is positive here is, I strongly believe from a manufacturer point of view, from an OEM point of view, of course, all of the manufacturers will open their protocols or their interfaces. And there's a there's clear reason to do this because there will be a future business for them as well. So there will be a data-driven business. So first manufacturers come up and have, an, let's say, an, an API uh, they need to pay for. So they want to participate in this emerging markets that comes up in the smart energy business. 
And uh, of course, why not doing so? So of course, th that's that's a mixture of protectionism and uh, new business. And that's why I would say it's, it's a seven. Of course, there's a chance, but of course, it won't be open all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so really interesting points there, I think, also about um, keeping enough openness for innovation and new business models. Uh, um, yeah, if you if you jump too quickly to a standard, then potentially you you make that harder, but also a standard will, will help to open that up in other ways. Um, Alex, last but not least, where would you put us out of 10? Oh, Joshua, sorry. Uh, where would you put us today out of 10? Uh, today? Today, yep. You mean uh, the standards or the openness? Combination. Uh, combination. Nicholas put it at three out of ten. Would you agree, with Nicholas, or a bit higher, a bit lower? It's a bit lower um, because, of course, there are let's say there are standards, uh, but standards are not the same. Uh, so, how to inter interpret uh, it? Uh, what's the standard behind? And of course, we I see this every day. What is the challenge to bring this together? And uh, it's, it's not related to, to openness of the, of the providers. It's, it's more related to, is, is it really compatible? Can you work with it? How easy it is to, to manage it? And uh, that's why I would say it's still poor. But as Niklas said, there's a, there's, there's a clear trend that this will, I'd say, will be better in the future. Uh, it will be, yeah, will be better in the future, right? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, Alex, last but not least, um, what's your uh, mark out of 10 for this combination of standards and openness today and in 2025? Well, today I would say around three as well. I think it's a, it's a good number. Mm -hmm. And five years is a very short amount of time. Yeah. Um, so maybe around six. I think a key driver for that would be like the working groups that are um, appearing at country levels, but also um, European levels or even international levels. And I think those have like the possibility to push this six a little bit higher. Um, but for now, I wouldn't be um, positive enough to go to go about that. Okay. So uh, general agreement, I think, that we're at two or three out of 10 today, six or seven out of 10 in five years' time. Um, and that's been a really insightful conversation on the, the techie world of connecting up um, the growing number of assets, devices in people's homes that will play a huge role in the energy system going forward, but only if we can connect them together. So. Lots of great examples, lots to do in this area as well. Uh, and we'll continue to um, look really closely at how this sector's emerging here at Delta EE. Thanks very much to my three guests. Thanks to Nicholas, Joshua and Alex. That's been a really insightful discussion. Thanks to all of you listeners for joining the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it informative and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. 
and to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.